With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Sleepers and Keepers Fantasy Hockey Podcast, part of the Hockey News Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason Chen. Joining me is my co-host, Michael Amato. How are you doing, Mike? I could be better. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out of the survivor pool. It only took two weeks. Uh, this is episode seven, second week, and you're out. Well, I'm out too because I'm dumb and I forgot to make my pick. But for the record, I did pick the Knights. And I saw that you picked the wild. Like, talk me through that one, because that one's a that one's a bit of a spicy one. So I definitely galaxy brained it. I was debating between the wild and Vegas, to be honest with you. I saw Columbus, their opponent was playing the night before. Line A was out. Uh, Minnesota coming off a tough loss. I thought they'd really respond well and not so much. So that's it. Two weeks. It was a good run. this is the thing with survivor pools like sometimes you can really galaxy bring yourself especially after the first week when we had that scare with the sharks and the abs and so maybe we thought well maybe we won't go for the most obvious one yeah like that and i was thinking you know what vegas looks really good maybe i'll try and save vegas for another week but you won't never come now you got to go with the surest thing in these pools so yeah um week two we've got a pretty good sense of where all the teams are i am panicking a little though so in one of my leagues i picked alex ovechkin as my keeper through four games he has zero goals nine shots which is low for him two assists and seven hits should i be panicking and when should you panic on a player when it comes to fantasy hockey I think a lot depends on your league structure and, and where your team is obviously in the standing. So, you know, if uh, you're in a head to head, let's say, and you're Owen two, cause you've lost the first two matchups. Yeah. It might be a little more panic time than if you're two and oh, and you've got a player that's struggling, you might have a little more room to, to wait it out. But yeah, someone like Ovechkin, is definitely concerning off the start. Uh, you know, you his mentioned, age is a factor. Yeah, you mentioned some of his struggles. Two back-to-back games without a shot for the first time yeah. in his career. That was wild. Um, yeah, he looked. The Cats don't fill me with a lot of confidence. I don't know if you've watched any of their games. I've, I've watched a couple. <laughs> I have. I've almost fell asleep a couple times. Yeah, they look slow. They're not scoring. Um, Ovet. Yeah, like you said, Ovechkin's thirty-eight. A lot of tough miles on him, and their power play is not clicking. Where he gets gets a lot of production so it's it's interesting um i guess you could look at it two ways you know if if is he a buy low candidate for for somebody in your league you know if they're if they're looking to add something to their roster because obviously he's not going to be this bad the caps aren't going to be this bad well hopefully for for long yeah you (laughs) you think so i mean spencer carberry kind of ran the the second best power play in the league last year granted different personnel on the the maple leafs than on the capitals but you'd think they'd be able to sort that out a little bit. But I don't know. If you look at Washington, they just don't really inspire much confidence. Like No, well, like they started the season with Backstrom, Ovechkin, and Oshie. 
Yeah. And that's like 35 years old average. Yeah. That's the thing. Backstrom and Oshie are just like, you know, they're nothing like they, they once were. They're just kind of, they're aging. They're, they're, to me, they're more of compl- complimentary players at this point. Yeah. And I'd like to see them give Dylan Strom a shot up there with Ovechkin. Just he's getting that now. It. Yeah. He's like, got, he's, I mean, I think the thing with Carberry, my theory is that he tried to like kind of average it out, put a little talent, sprinkle it throughout the lineup. But now I think he realizes that he can't do that because he ends up with no talent on none of the lines. So now he's got Strom centering centering Ovechkin. And to me, Strom's their most consistent playmaker. And then Matt Phillips, who I kind of like as a sort of sneaky offensive player. He's got a lot of playmaking ability too. So we'll see how that goes. Um, But definitely depth is a problem. Speed is a problem. And it's starting to look like the Caps are probably going to miss the playoffs where... And I said it before at the beginning of the season, um, it seems like that Ovechkin goals record is more important than making the playoffs for them sometimes. Yeah, I think they're, I think they're kind of stuck in that terrible spot. You don't want to be where you're, well, who knows now, but I, I don't think they're bad enough to be in contention for like the first overall pick, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're also good enough to make the playoffs. So they're kind of going to be like 10th or 11th in the conference, I would think yeah. when it's all said and done. And yeah, if, if I'm Carberry, I'm doing everything I can to get Ovechkin going because that's you look at that lineup. There's not a lot of young talent there. Um, I know no, Sunny, Sunny Milano might be their best goal scorer. Anthony yeah. Mantha's on the block already, so he's been scratched too. Like if they're gonna win, it's gonna be because Ovechkin gets going. So if I'm Carberry, I'm juggling the lines. I'm putting Strom up there. I'm doing whatever I can to get him scoring. Mm-hmm. Other players getting uh, or off to a slow start. Timo Meyer uh, was benched for basically an entire period. He came back and, and had two assists in it and played 20 minutes. So probably no worries there, right? Yeah, not not too concerned about him. I think that th- there was some worries, obviously, when you're not hitting and shooting and, and you're not scoring because that's stuff he does well. And I think he, he started off slow in that area too. And obviously he got the the bump up to, to play with Jack Hughes uh, the other night against Long Island. So that, that was huge for him because he was on the second line and Brat and Hughes were on the first. And I think that's just a better spot for Meyer. So yeah, I'm not overly concerned about the Devils or, or Meyer. Anybody playing with Jack Hughes at this point um, is probably going to gonna fare pretty well. Uh, last week, we kind of touched on them too. The Seattle Kraken are having trouble scoring. It, there's, it's still kind of an issue right now. I know they had that big game against the Canes. Do you have any takes on Jordan Eberle's cold start, the rest of the Kraken, Maddie Beniers as number one? Um, any concerns there? Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned about them just because they, there's been a number of games now um, where they've struggled to find the back of the net. They were a top five scoring team last year. You know, they had a lot of uh, regression candidates on their team coming into this year. Um, you know, Jared McCann, I think, being the, the biggest one. So, We'll see how he does. But I've actually been encouraged by uh, Vince Dunn. I think he's mm-hmm. up about five points so far. So I think a lot of people were worried about him um, coming down to earth this year. And so far, he looks like he's doing really well. So, yeah, they're definitely an interesting team. They kind of score a lot by committee. And when you do yeah. that, if you get a couple of guys struggling, it kind of goes through the whole team. So we'll see how they kind of kind of balance that out. At least with Dunn, it's like he's kind of the undisputed number one defenseman. Yeah. At least fantasy wise on that team finally scored a power play goal, scored 14 goals last year. All of them were at even strength, which is really odd for a defenseman. 
Yeah. I think he's, I think he'll be okay. Like I, I liked what I've seen from him so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people thought he would come way down. I think he's going to come down a bit. Like he had a, a bit of a high shooting percentage for his mm-hmm. standards yeah. last year, yeah. but not like sure. anything crazy that we've seen. Like it, yeah. I think his shooting percentage was nine in career. It's been like six. So yeah, um, it's not anything I'm, I'm overly concerned about with Don. Yeah. Yeah. Most defensemen are around four to six range. Nine to yeah. 10 is really high. Um, I do want to get to one mailbag question because I think this kind of ties into a bigger topic we have for this episode. So this question is from Juan Tavares. Thank you again, Juan, for the question. He asks, uh, looks like Brown is off McDavid's wing and onto the third line. Are you still optimistic about his potential this year? No, Juan. No, I am not. <laughs> if uh, if he's off that, if he's not in the top six, if you're not in the top six in Edmonton, um, that's not a good sign. Yeah. The Oilers' bottom six, um, obviously for cap reasons. Is, Wait, they have a bottom six? Thin. Yeah, supposedly. It's uh, it's fairly thin. So, yeah, I think Brown was, um, unfortunately, like a nice sneaky late draft pick, but it has not uh, panned out for him. I find it really – again, I guess the challenging part is, you know, the lines almost will certainly be juggled again. And will he go back mm-hmm. up with McDavid at some point? um probably but when is it it's hard to hold the guy for so long when he's not really producing for you so yeah right now he's not he's not offering much and if he's not playing with mcdavid um I, I think you can drop him i don't know what are your thoughts i'm in total agreement so i was probably a little higher on brown than you going to the season because i figured hey it's the yuri otters connection brown's played with good players before Maybe him and Hyman can have one line and, and Drysaddle and Nugent Hopkins on the other. And it'll be a nice, you know, sort of even top six, never mind the bottom six. But you're right. Anytime you're not playing with Drysaddle or McDavid, your fantasy value just plummets. And I could say the same about Evander Kane. Evander Kane uh, was playing with uh, McDavid and Drysaddle. Um, Jay Woodcroft basically took the nuclear option, McDry- Code McDrysaddle. And that's that only happens when the Oilers are really in trouble. And when Kane gets taken off that top line, gets dropped to the third, um, I think it's time to wonder if Kane can get you the fantasy stats that you want, especially in the scoring uh, categories. Yeah, and I think he was kind of a, a little bit of a, a buy-low candidate in drafts just because he was hurt a mm-hmm. lot last year. Um, I don't think he was healthy, too, a lot of the, the time he was playing. Mm-hmm. So you know that if he's in that top six and you're in a league with hits, he's got a lot of value. But, yeah, the Oilers right now, they look like they're kind of struggling to find find their game. You know, they're they're not really clicking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we saw McDavid on Saturday night potentially – um, have some sort of injury. Well, he clearly did because he, yeah. he didn't play the last four minutes or overtime. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, one more thing on Evander Kane. Did you see his post game or one of the interviews he did on TV? I did see that. Yeah. That, um, I don't think that's going to go over too well with Jay Woodcroft, basically saying he wasn't, wasn't playing anyway. So he might as well get into a fight. Um, and uh, go to the penalty box for... Yeah, I mean, I kind of like the sentiment about like how he's basically saying he's going to get involved somehow, but that's probably yeah. not the way you want to go about at it. Well, but, if you have if you have Kane and you have uh, penalty minutes in your league, you're probably okay with that. Five, five minutes for fighting. Quite a few, actually, quite a few fighting majors so far already. I don't know yeah. if you noticed. I did, yeah. There, there has been a lot, yeah. Especially like, you know, being a Leafs fan, I think after the first week or so, they were leading the league in 
in fighting majors because of Reeves, which mm-hmm. never happens. I think they've been like the bottom for the last several years. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's been a lot. I mean, you did pay him enough money to start fights, right? So yeah, he's he's got to do that because I'm not sure what else he's doing. But anyways, <laughs> but uh, I, I digress. You you, you kind of touched the big story this week is McDavid's injury. Yeah. Now McDavid is by far the best offensive player in the league. If he goes, what do we make of this Oilers offense? In my opinion, this is not such an elite offense anymore. Like he drives the engine on this. And all credit to Leon Dreisaitl, who I think is an incredible playmaker. But it's his team now, and I wonder if he can carry a team that has so many holes in it. Yeah, it'll be a lot harder. I think obviously um, with these top heavy teams that are, you know, they're they're kind of paying a, a handful of guys a lot of money, and then they're. They're sort of cheaping out on, on the bottom six and maybe in some defensive areas on, on D. Um, you know, Toronto's in a similar boat. Like if something were to happen to, to Matthews or, you know, everyone was holding their breath the other night when, uh, I don't know if you saw Nylander get hit into the boards against mm-hmm. Florida. Um, everyone was holding their breath here. Like if something happens to Nylander or McDavid or whoever, like it's it's a huge blow, right? Because, yeah, you've got other talented players around them. Like I think Dreisaitl's a – a solid player. I think, you know, Nugent Hopkins is a good player. Um, I think Zach Hyman is, is a great player in his own right, but yeah. Hyman's yeah. on like on pace for another point per game, multi-category yeah. season. He looks good. He's excellent, but yeah, you can't, I mean, McDavid's irreplaceable. The minutes he plays the production he gives you, right? Like if you drop that out of the lineup, I, it's going to be very concerning for the others. On the other hand, Nugent Hopkins was centering his own line when Dreisaitl and McDavid were playing together. He actually helped Warren Fogle get on the board, which is shocking to me. But does Nugent Hopkins get a little boost because he might be playing more minutes? Like someone's got to take over, right? Yeah, if that happens, he he would get a boost. I think the problem is, you know, he did so much of his production last year on the power power play play. with, with McDavid. So you take McDavid off that power play and it's suddenly not so potent. Right. So that's what I'd be concerned about for Nugent Hopkins. Uh, if, if McDavid were to miss, you know, significant time, but mm-hmm. we're not sure exactly what's going on with him yet. Yeah. Yeah. Evan Bouchard scored his first power play goal, uh, assisted by dry McDavid. I just want to touch on Bouchard. Um, are you surprised that he's a bit, you know, slow to start considering the way he played in the playoffs last year? Yeah, a little bit. I guess it's just kind of a product of that whole team starting a bit slow. Um, yeah. I think I also think like Bouchard was one of those players that I think we all talked him up so much in the summer that we made we made sort of this version of him in our own minds <laughs> that like I remember you know I think you and I might have might have put the over under at seventy points for him and I think we were both saying over at one point, <laughs> um, which you know it, it might be might be a reasonable prediction, but I just think we all had this perfect vision of, of the Oilers and how good they were going to be. And, and, you know, Bouchard would just start clicking right away. Maybe we just built him up a little too much, but I think he's going to have a really, per- like he hasn't been terrible, but no. he just, I think everyone, like I said, I think expectations were so high that it's almost, he's struggling to live up to them. And I think Matthias Ekholm, I don't think he's a hundred percent either. Yeah. So I think that that hurts them too. Mm-hmm. Injuries are a big, big, um issue throughout the season and in the beginning of the season uh one player that's kind of both caught both of our eyes is uh josh norris so he returns after shoulder surgery last year comes out and scores two goals in his season debut somehow not rostered in a basically any of the yahoo leagues what's going on there 
Yeah, it was, I think, one of those situations where there was just so much uncertainty around him going into the season that people just got really scared off. You know, I don't know if you heard some of the comments from from DJ Smith, like, I'm, I'm not sure when he's going to be available. You know, we want him to play, but we don't know. And I think when people heard that and the fact that he missed most of last year, I think it scared a lot of people off. I don't know where he went in your leagues, but I, I got him in, in the 14th round in one league as a, as a stash. Um, I thought that was at that point, it was just too, too good to, to pass him up at that point, no matter what happened. I think the, the reward just far outweighed the risk at yeah. that point. And I think that's one thing when you're drafting, like you, when you get to a point where there's a player there, even if you're kind of questioning it or, con, or a little bit concerned, or maybe you don't have a need on your roster. Um, you should just take that player if they're by far the best player available at that point. That's, that was the old, I mean, that was the reason why, you know, not to get too sidetracked here, but the, the new England Patriots got Tom Brady because at the time they had drew Bledsoe who was, they just made, I think the highest paid quarterback in the league. They didn't need a quarterback, but where they were picking, they valued Brady so far above any other player. They just had to pick him, And that's kind of what I looked at with Norris. He just was going so late that, even if he, even if it doesn't work out in the 14th round, a lot of times those players you're picking are, are just kind of waiver replacements. Yeah. Anyway, you can just get somebody off waivers to replace them. So you take a risk there again, it's only been a couple of games, but he looks really good so far. And yeah, like I think he was practicing the whole time or still skating. Like it wasn't like he was, there was some mystery around like, where is he? What's going on with him? Like he, he practiced throughout training camp. So I just kind of thought, you know, let's give it a shot. Maybe he only misses a little bit of time and he just missed a little over a week there. And so, so far, so good, I guess. Well, part of the reason too, is that DJ Smith will some say something and Pierre Dorian will come out and say something Yeah, and it, they're kind of contradict each other. So you're kind of like, what's going on here? Uh, I'm with you, Josh Norris. I got late in one of my drafts, uh, had my eye on him forever. At some point, you just have to go for it. And the other guy I took late was Sean Couturier, kind of the yep. same story exactly. coming off injury. Uh, the thing with these like fantasy leagues is they rank players really low if they missed a lot of time the year before. Yeah. So I guess one strategy you can use is just make a list of players who missed a ton of time due to injury this year. And then yep. maybe next year you can get to them. I mean, Kirby Dax already lost for the season and I thought he was yeah. playing really well. Yeah. He'll be another, it's, it's recency bias, right? Like you forget yeah. about the players that, you know, we talked about Vander Kane earlier, the, the players that missed a lot of time, like you just naturally forget about them and they end up kind of going under the radar in drafts. Like, yeah. I don't know what you felt about Norris, but I, I have him, if he's healthy, I have him as like 30, 35 goals, maybe yeah. maybe 70 he, points. He's a 60, like, 70 point player. Yeah. And, and he has good chemistry with Batherson too. So yeah. Ridley Gregg is actually one of my favorite players to watch right now, low key, because he kind of does a little bit of everything. And he's playing well, Tarasenko. So now yeah. I know Pinto's not signed, but you have pretty good depth down the middle and the Sens are scoring goals. Like they this is good. a pretty yeah. good team. And I think this kind of brings the question of where do you find value two weeks into the season? By now, you already know about Norris. If you listen to this podcast, you definitely know about Norris and Couturier. (laughs) So after two weeks, you've got a good gauge. You've got a good um, sense of where everyone is. So how do you find the players that will give you that extra edge for the rest of the season? Do you have a method or are there players that you're keeping an eye on? Well, I think... I think a big part of it is kind of what we touched on earlier about there will inevitably be 
players in your league that overreact, right? And that yeah. give up on a player too soon. Um, yeah. And you need to be ready to kind of buy low on that player. Like that sort of happened to me last year. I ended up getting Jeremy Swayman. Uh, somebody, oh, wow. somebody dropped him in the second week because Allmark looked really good. He had played like the first three or four games and they kind of soured on Swayman and it kind of really helped my goaltending a lot because it was a disaster and I ended up scooping him. So I, I think there will be a lot of players like that, um, that people overreact on and, and, and give up on. Like the, obviously there's, you know, like I'll just use an example of Dawson Mercer right now, right? Like he's had a really yeah. rough start. I'm sure he's going to be getting dropped in a lot of leagues. Um, maybe he's Your not, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe he's not somebody you're picking up today, but maybe that's somebody you keep it in the back of your head. If there's an injury in the Devils' top six, he gets pushed back up. He's av- suddenly available now, and uh, maybe there's some value there. So there's probably a handful of of situations like that uh, around a lot of leagues right now. Yeah, for sure. I remember in my league, uh, someone else had drafted Ryan Johansson, who I really wanted because we can't face off wins in our league. And McKinnon's never That's been big. good at winning draws. Yeah. So Johansson's big. And then he was starting to play power play one. And so that was big too. And I don't know if you saw that goal McKinnon scored against Carolina where he basically deked Slavin out of his jockstrap and just banked it off Johansson's skate for the goal. And that's kind of like the deal or the best part about playing with really good players is that they'll just bounce pucks off your body and you get credit for it and it's all good in fantasy. Yep, that's that's a good strategy too is finding – because a lot of times, like for example, we, we talked a lot about Connor Brown in the offseason. We thought he was going to play with McDavid, but – it's it's tough to predict in August and September who mm-hmm. who is actually going to play with these elite players and yeah someone like Johansson you're saying got a bump from McKinnon the other night like I think there's a lot of players like that that are mm-hmm. starting to emerge now that are that are playing you know moved up the lineup playing with with different mm-hmm. people that are stronger and I think you can look for those players as well yeah there's actually a couple players I want to highlight so the Red Wings look really good um, they finally got an elite scoring line with Larkin and Debrinket they look good. Andrew Kopp and uh, JT Comfer. So these were guys that everyone was like, oh, they're third line players. They're not going to score a whole lot. But the thing I think you you have to keep in mind is ice time. So yes, the Red Wings may not have a true number two center in terms of like a scoring number two center, but someone has to get all that ice time. So Kopp and Comfer, if they get the ice time, especially on special teams, they're producing. Same with Jesperi Kotkaniemi. I've been pleasantly surprised. Uh, probably not ready for to be the number two center last season, but this year he's looked really good. He's up to 15% rostered on Yahoo. Um, I think Kakanimi is a rostered, uh, is a player you can roster for the rest of the season, even when if Aho comes back because we're gonna see Terravine and move to the wing, right? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Like you mentioned, Confer, I've, I've got Confer in a league for just that, it, it's a league that counts face off, so. He's taking face. No off. center eligibility. I, I was about to say that. Yeah, he's left wing and right wing, but no center. Um, yeah, I've been slow on that. Like I, there's I no know. rhyme or reason. I, yeah. I think once they gave us the tool to add positions, they're kind of like, here you guys go, forget it. We're not doing this anymore. We get yeah. too many complaints. They just they just gave line A center the other day. Um, and if I you still... count face offs though, you're never gonna play center or line A at center. Yes, I know. That's true. Yeah. But like, I'm just saying I have, I think, seven, seven pure centers right now on, on one roster that I'm wow. going to move one because I thought some of them would get 
left-wing eligibility. Like I thought Scott Lawton for sure would have left-wing eligibility, but he should. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> right now. Um, I thought Logan Cooley might, but I think he's played mostly center to start. So there's been a few guys. I think even um, Fantilli's still center only. Yeah, I, was, I think even Pedersen last year had a left-wing eligibility. If I, he if did. I remember right, but yeah, that's yeah. gone now. Um, yeah, he, so well, he's not going to play wing for, this year. So yeah, so yeah, that's a tough thing um, with the eligibility stuff, especially. You know, we, we talked about looking for, for value. Sometimes that's good value too at this point of the mm-hmm. year. If you see someone that got an extra position eligibility that can sort of help you optimize your roster, that, that's pretty key. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more player I kind of want to highlight is Kyle Palmieri playing second line, top power play on the Islanders. I know the Islanders are, aren't a sexy team in fantasy. They really frustrate me, especially Matt Barzell. But I think Palmieri is a very good uh, low-key ad just because of the role he plays. Um, another one we should talk about, Tanner Janot. So he kind of had a slow start, wasn't hitting a lot of guys, but he's picking it up now. And so is the rest of the Lightning. Yeah, Janot, uh, I think Janot had four points in 20 games last year when he came over to Tampa. He's already got three uh, this year, so that's a good sign. Um, <laughs> Who else yeah. are they going to play in the top six? I know, top right? nine anyway, right? So if, you know, he's obviously fills the hits category for you, but if you can get some of that offensive touch back, I think it's going to be big. I don't, I, I don't know if he ever gets back to like 20, 23 goals again. Yeah, um, I think he, I, I think he had some crazy shooting percentages those years yeah. in Nashville, but even if he's a 15 goal scorer and he can hit like that, I think that's pretty effective for you. If he gives you, you know, 175 shots maybe, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Tampa's kind of another... like uh, Marcus Foligno, right? When yeah. Scoring double-digit goals. Yeah, similar player. But T- Tampa's, again, like the Oilers, um, bottom six is pretty bleak. If Juno can't crack that top six, it's going to be tough for offense. What are your thoughts on good players on bad teams? So I'm looking at the docs, and like Leo Carlson interests me as a keeper, obviously. Played 19 minutes in his debut, scored a goal. Pavel Minchukov uh, playing power play one, basically. Looks really good. Still could go back to junior, but I don't know if they will uh, send him back at the rate he's playing. So do you have a strat? Do you even like rostering players on bad teams? I'm of two minds about this sometimes. I love it. I have no problem with it. I think there's a lot of a lot of great players um, on bad teams. I mean, you look at, I point to the Coyotes last year. They had so many great players. I think they have more this year. Like yeah. Clayton, Clayton Keller, I think I ranked him in the top 40 this year in my rankings. Like he's a, he's over a point per game player. Schmaltz is great there. Uh, Hayton. Barrett Hayton's Hayton still good. underrated. Yeah. Barrett Hayton was, was really uh, good there. He's still Jason Zucker well. was yeah. really good last year with the hits. He had massive, a massive hit total. Cooley's been awesome to start yeah. the year. Dursey, you know, Valimaki. Even like, even Vegemelka, like you can't really roster him. But like, there are games where he put, he puts up like a 45 save, yeah. you know, win. And, and if you're, he's a good streaming option. So there's a lot of guys. Obviously, the Ducks you mentioned too. Like I, I think there's good players on the Ducks. Like I've got Drysdale in a league. He he had points in his first two games mm. before he got hurt. Um, you mentioned some of the others. Like yeah, I think there's there's a lot of value there. Last season, I was in a head-to-head league and I was really hurting for hits, and I ended up picking up Jack, Jamie or Jack McBain. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the faceoffs and the hits, and he won me my week. So the the Coyotes have a lot of useful players, and I think this might be the season where like they really break through and, and find a playoff or find themselves in the playoff race late in the season, at least. 
Yeah, and I think that the division they're in too, there, there's a lot of, there's some teams at the top of that. Like there's obviously Colorado, Dallas, but there's a lot of teams in the central that we're not too sure about. They could go like kind of one of two ways. And mm-hmm. so I think there's going to be some playoff spots up for grabs there. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Now we've been through bad players or good players on bad teams. What about bad players on good teams? <laughs> and maybe not so bad because they're untalented, but Pavel Zaka, I drafted late in one of my leagues. I've already dropped him. Did I make the right decision or not? I have a strict policy. No, no bad players at all. Good teams, <laughs> bad teams, whatever. Um, yeah, Zaka. That's probably a good strategy. That's a good winning strategy. No know, bad it, players. It served me well. Um, yeah, Zaka. It's been a, it's been a tough start. You know, I thought he would, I thought he would do a lot better. Um, me too. Think, the thing is, I think the Bruins have only played four games. They are yep. playing tonight as as we record this, but but like a cream um, puff schedule like they should be blowing yeah. a lot of these teams out and Zaka's not doing a heck of a lot and last year with a lot less ice time and opportunities he put up 57 points so you would have thought this year getting that top line bump um you know playing with Pasternak all the time I think they even I didn't see the game last night but I, but just by looking at the box score I, th- I think they pushed Marshawn up there for a couple of shifts with Zach and Pasternak um people can can tell me if I'm wrong on that but I just saw um a, a couple of things that, that it looks like what the Bruins did there in that game so maybe to try to get get them going a bit get Zacher going but yeah it's it's tough like it's it's a tough time to drop there because we talked about overreacting and yeah like there's one where you know he, the Bruins have only played four times he could easily still have a really strong season but at the same time we're heading into week three. He's he's barely found the score sheet. Sometimes you have to do what you want to do, what you got to do if you if you got to sort of keep your season going. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but scoring always spikes in the first couple months, and then it kind of yeah. dies off in the winter. So I feel like if you're not taking advantage now, when scoring and defense becomes harder in the winter months, when there's fatigue and travel and defenses get to know you a little better. I just don't see a lot of upside with Zaka. And and center is such a deep position in fantasy, like all the time. It's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Andre Kuzmenko, he was a bit of a patient zero for us in terms of <laughs> shooting percentage regression. Um, he's played well, um, but the stats not showing it right now. But what do you think of uh, Kuzmenko so far? I'm a little concerned his shot volume is so low. I think he's got six shots in five games. Yeah. Is Same as last year. He didn't shoot the puck. Yeah. Long. Like last year he had 39 goals on 143 shots. So if you want to avoid regression, you got to get your shot totals up, right? Yeah. Like you got to do the Verhage method. Yeah. So <laughs> if, if he got to, let's say this year he can get to 200 shots, maybe he regresses, but he's still at 30 goals. Mm-hmm. But if he's only getting, you know, 140, 150 shots again, it could be a pretty decent fall in his goal total. Like maybe he's going all the way down to 20 something, but I don't know. I just look at him. Good player. Six shots in five games when you're playing with Pedersen and you're on the top power play is not enough for me, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel. You probably see him a lot more regularly than I do. 
Well, yeah, that's the thing. He he's a good player, and it's kind of like Phil DiGiuseppe on JT Miller's line, where like when he's playing well, they're winning puck battles and they're digging out pucks and they're finishing plays. Um, but it just so much of the offense runs through Pedersen and Hughes. It, it's kind of difficult for him to get involved because he's a bit of a poacher. Right? Yeah. You, don't, you don't see Kuzmenko really holding onto the puck for too long and deking guys out. Um, I'm not concerned about his play, but certainly his production is a little concerning. Now, Ilya Mikheyev is back, and Mikheyev has never struck me as like a playmaking type. He's more of a, no. like a two-way puck retriever. <laughs> and so I, I don't know how that uh, how those wingers are going to produce offensively without the power play on Kuzmenko's part anyway. Uh, Pedersen, by the way, though, is, is amazing. He's an elite centerman. I think him and Jack Hughes are probably, what, two of the top four or five centers in the league? Like, where would you rank them after McDavid? McDavid's at the top, but who do you have afterwards now? It's it's kind of a, a debate now, isn't it? Yeah, I think probably McKinnon is in their conversation. Yeah, now. McKinnon for sure. Matthews, I guess, uh, Hughes, Pedersen. Like, if there's one regret or one mulligan I could do on my rankings, so it's probably more than one, but if, they, if I had one <laughs> at the top, it would be to put pedersen higher like i tried to put him higher but i just couldn't figure out who to bump and i Uh think i had him at i think i had him at 16 or 17 Uh i I think like he's a top 10 player like i would have put him above like a a caprizov or robertson even at this point like i think he's i think he's at that level um so yeah he's he's been excellent so so is he's obviously but pedersen's also been really good for my rankings, um, Nathan McKinnon was my number two center and then Drysaddle's third, but I'm with you. I think I could have had Pedersen a bit higher, but it, it, it's tough at the top. It now, is. If McDavid gets injured, is injured, and he misses a lot of time, there's no consensus top player in fantasy anymore. Yeah, I. you're probably right. I, I, it's funny because I think most people would say Drysaddle, but Drysaddle is probably two in a lot of people's minds because of McDavid because he plays on the power well, play with Mc not 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 just because but you get you get the McDavid bump and Drysaddle's really good so if you lose the McDavid bump yeah now he's more in the conversation with McKinnon Matthews Hughes Pedersen yeah. in my opinion yeah I mean from a fantasy standpoint I always kind of lean McKinnon because I like the shot volume a bit more yeah Drysaddle has his advantages the center left wing is big. The face-offs is big. Yeah. Um, but if we're going strictly by points and shots, I don't know. I, I think McKinnon ha- definitely has a shot to be number two. Yeah, he does. And I think I think Matthews, I, I was checking the other day, I think he went eighth overall as an ADP in, in most leagues, which is wild. Because, well, yeah, great because value of, there now. His last year, obviously, he only hit 40 goals, and, and he had a, a bit of a, a low shooting percentage. And, and he, you know, he misses usually a handful of games every year with injury. But – that's going to be a steal. It looks like he's obviously starting really well too. And he's just incredible in all three zones playing penalty kill now too. him and Marner yeah. on the penalty kill look, look unbelievable, but imagine what a clean bill of health can do for you. Right. That's right. Uh, let's move on to uh, goalies. This is always Ooh. a really hot button topic in fantasy because it's so volatile and there's so much going on. It's also <laughs> one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, so we're recording this on a Sunday. Uh, right now, the Flames and Red Wings are playing. And surprisingly, Dan Vladar is in net. Uh, the Red Wings are up 4-2 to two as we speak. They were up 4 nothing at one point. 
a surprise because I thought Markstrom was pretty good. Like, not excellent, but serviceable and starting material for sure. I, yeah, I'm kind of surprised Vladar got back-to-back starts there. Um, unless there's something we don't know about Markstrom right now. If he's battling something or, mm-hmm. or he's got an injury or whatnot. But, yeah, I thought he actually looked pretty good to start the season. Um, I think he had one game maybe against Pittsburgh that didn't look that great. But otherwise, he, he was pretty solid. He looked like a good bounce back uh, by this year. So mm-hmm. I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, I will say... Um, Daryl Sutter was extremely loyal to Markstrom and he just kept sending him out there all the time, no matter what. So I just couldn't read the name on the back. Thought it said Kiprasov. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you have to kind of look at that now and say, okay, Markstrom might not get 60 plus starts unless he really earns it. But yeah. I feel like as long as Vladar is there, Markstrom's still probably going to play at least two out of every three games, maybe well, he more. Should, right? Yeah. Like, if I mean, Markstrom's happened... backing him up, so I don't know if it's health-related. And plus, keep in mind, they got Dustin Wolf in the minors, who deserves yeah. to be up with the big team. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, I think if Vladar somehow gets moved um, and Dustin Wolf does come up, then I'd be more concerned if I had Markstrom because, yeah, I think Wolf is more of a threat to that job than, than Vladar. Uh, the other one I want to talk about and touch on is Eric Comrie. So I was actually really surprised the Sabres went with Devin Levi for so long to start the season yeah. because one, he's a rookie. He's coming from the NCAA where the schedule isn't nearly as tough or tiring. Um, I mean, at that pace, they were looking at starting Levi, like what, at least 50 games, right? Almost 60. Yeah. Comrie comes in, he wins the game. Uh, what do you make of the Buffalo goaltending situation? And keep in mind, they still have a Ukopeka Lukanen too. Yeah, I, I was surprised if they were going to give Levi a rest. It wasn't UPL getting, getting <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit there. too. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I've made my feelings on Levi pretty clear. Um, I had a lot of vit- <laughs> and got flamed for it. <laughs> I, I had a lot of vitriol online. I, I like Levi. I think he's a great player, but I just think the the amount of college goalies in their early twenties um, that have come straight into the NHL and not spent any time in the AHL is a very short list. I figured the Sabres weren't going to be super good defensively again. So you might want to, you know, if he's, if he is getting kind of um, bombarded with shots, you might want to give him a little stretch in the AHL to get his confidence up at some point this year. But, you know, everyone's like, Oh, he's never going to spend a minute in the AHL. How, how dare you say that? So um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with him. I think they still want him to succeed, obviously be their number one guy, but it hasn't been a, a banner start for them, so they're probably just giving some some different options a look. And yeah, I could see UPL getting a start uh, at some point as well. He kind of reminds me of Carey Price, how he's a bit like unflappable and he's got a bit of a charisma, even though he's not like the loudest guy. And yeah. keep in mind, Carey Price had to go to the minors for a little bit too, right? At one point, they're they were talking about trading Carey Price because he wasn't playing so well. So yeah. we have to be patient with uh, Devin Levi. Um, I'm not so sure how that's going to shake out. I'm I'm kind of concerned about rostering Levi for an entire season. That was a goaltending situation I probably would have avoided, unless you're in a keeper league. Then yeah. Levi's all, all go from there. Uh, we should talk about Joey Wool. Is it the Joseph Wool era in Toronto now? Oh, wow. It's it's looking like it could be here. Um, I am so glad I stashed this guy at the beginning of the season. because I am so... Now frustrated he was the guy i was sounding the trumpets for and someone took him two picks ahead of me 
Oh, that's the um, worst. And he almost traded him to me for Jacob Rana, but he said he wanted to see Wolf start one game first. That would have been a steal for you. I know. I was trying to get him before he before he got into a game because I knew this was going to happen. Anyways, he comes in Saturday against Tampa. Looks amazing. Um, kind of helps spur the Leafs to a comeback win. Samsonov has not looked amazing. He's really kind of he's looking, looked worse than I thought he would. Yeah, really inconsistent. It's not all on him. The Leafs, I think, that defense right now is a bit of a mess. Um, yeah. So I think <laughs> that's what happens when you have John Klinberg there, right? Yeah, and like you know, you can't pin it all on him. But there are a lot of goals. Like you can't just give up as many goals as Samsonov has been given up. Yeah, and expect to to keep the net. So Wall comes in. He plays really well. He actually looked good. Will look good to me against Chicago, even though the Leafs lost that game. I thought he looked pretty, pretty good, pretty confident. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe they said he's starting against Washington on Tuesday. Um, that was a plan. That's a start. nice matchup. Yeah, that was a planned start for him anyway. So it's it sounded like they were going to go Samsonov to Wool one. Um, but now if Wool plays really well against the Caps and they win again, you kind of got to go back to him, don't you? Yes, a hundred percent agree. And it's not like. It's not like Minnesota where um, Gustafson and Fleury is like win and you're in. Yeah. I think the Leafs, there's so much pressure in Toronto and Wool has outplayed Samsonov so much that you can't not go with Wool. Yeah. And you, you had talked about this before. I can't remember what episode it was, but sometimes you'll play a backup goalie in a matchup thinking the starter might get pulled. Yeah. And you'll pick up some saves that way. I wish I had <laughs> did that with Wool against Tampa. But oh yeah, he had a ton of saves. Yeah. I know twenty nine saves and no goals against. That would have helped me win my week for sure. I think but, I me- I think I mentioned this too on an earlier episode. It, the situation reminds me a lot of the Oilers last year, where you mm-hmm. had Campbell, a big name coming in, but he didn't exactly have a phenomenal, solid track record and a huge sample size. And so Stuart Skinner was kind of there waiting. And I think Wool and and Samson are in the same situation where, you know, the Oilers and the Leafs, two really good regular season teams. So if you're doing zero G and you want a guy that you're stashing, that's, that's the guy you want. The guy that's behind that not so sure, not so confident number one that, basically could get a bump at a moment's notice. And I think Wool is, is that guy. Stuart Skinner was that guy last year for the mm-hmm. Oilers. I think Wool is that guy this year. Mm-hmm. And I think just real quick, the Leafs beating the Lightning in last year's playoffs, coming from behind to win this game. By the way, apologies to Jonas Johansson to thinking that you weren't going to be so good. You're actually not <laughs> so bad. Um, yeah. I, I do think the Leafs have turned a bit of an, like a, turned a corner here like mentally i i do think they they play and feel like they're an elite team and they're gonna get a lot of wins so hopefully wool gets a lot of those yeah yeah i felt like just real quick it felt like that was a, a but as big as win as you as you can get in october for the leafs like domi stepped up finally <laughs> nice scored so it was bigger them. than the shark shootout win or, or yeah. abs shootout win against sharks oh that was big yeah was big for the survivor pool. <laughs> um Week three, looking ahead, it's a bit of a weird schedule, so we only have one game Monday, one game Wednesday, all 32 teams playing Tuesday. I hate how the NHL does this. Like, spread it out a bit more, please. Um, Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, I think it is a smart strategy to try and find some players that play on these off nights because when you get a packed schedule, sometimes it's hard to work some of your players in and they're stuck on the bench. And don't always pick players on the team that you think you're going to win that's going to win because if you're picking like a third liner on the team that you think it's going to win, that means you're thinking it's going to be a blowout win. That might not be the case. Like there are, uh, there are good players on the other team as well. Yeah, no, for sure. 
Um, as always, we're going to end up with our sleeper and keeper for week three. So uh, why don't you go ahead and give me your sleeper and keeper? Uh, my keeper is going to be Trevor Moore. He's had a good streak here. He had a three-game goal streak. Uh, I think he's had at least three shots in every game but one. Uh, I like him on the Kings. Decent schedule next week. I think they play Arizona twice. It's a decent matchup for him. Um, he's a guy I would probably pick up and try and maybe keep for a few weeks, keep long-term to see what happens. And my sleeper, I'm kind of looking at Casey Middlestat. Um, mm. Really strong finish to the season last year. He kind of gets forgotten about with all that talent in Buffalo at, at forward, but he's also had a pretty pretty strong start. So I'd look at him. Well, Middlestat too is uh, getting. He played with Skinner and Tuck because they broke up that top line to get a get some things going. So in points leagues, I, I like Middlestat. The only drawback I think is he doesn't fill categories. It's yeah. not a hitter. Doesn't win a lot of faceoffs. Um, my keeper for the rest of the season. I can't believe he's only rostered like a third of Yahoo leagues. M- Mike Matheson on the Habs. Really fills every category, plays top minutes, top power play. He's going to be as solid as you can get for a multi-category defenseman. Uh, my sleeper, I have two. One is Marcus Johansson playing second line in power play one with the Wild. Uh, he's 4% roster in Yahoo Leagues. His ice time last two games is 18 minutes per game. That's first line minutes. That's really great usage for him. It's obviously gone up. And the other one is a deep sleeper. Uh, I kind of mentioned it before. Matt Phillips uh, playing with Strom and Alex Ovechkin was the Calgary Flames' minor league top scorer for two seasons straight. Really small guy, but really talented playmaker. So if you ever see this little guy buzzing around with the puck, that's him. The Capitals have to score eventually. So not, not a bad option. All right. I think that does it for this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. If you want to connect on Twitter, uh, you can, or X, I should say, you can you can contact us at JasonChen16 and at Amato underscore Mike. Uh, thank you for listening. Please subscribe and follow and give us a like.